Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PSG Talking Presents. This will be our 2019 Copa America preview. And with me today, my name is Mark Damon. I think you can probably tell by my voice. But joining me are PSG Talk contributor Cosse Espinosa and uh, from Canarian Blue, our old friend Chase Hayslip. So, Cosse, how are we doing today? Uh, we're doing just fine. Uh, excited about... Uh, the opportunity to talk about such an incredible tournament. And Chase, how are we doing? Hey, you know, three nil, three nil in the women's World Cup, and seven nil in a friendly. Can't can't go wrong on a Sunday when you start like that. Yes, and um, this uh, Copa America will be taking place from the wonderful country of Brazil, and uh, they've had a bit of uh, let's call it adversity over the last week. Um, we'll get into mm-hmm. that. Uh, luckily, we did this uh, show after the uh, after the Neymar injury because it kind of would have uh, we would have probably had to have redone it because I think this tournament is slightly well I wouldn't say even more than slightly different so let's just start with that Chase how does Neymar's injury besides the fact that it sucks for him that he keeps getting these ankle injuries um, how does it affect <laughs> how does it affect Brazil's Copa America uh, odds right now? Well, you know, I think, Mark, anytime you lose your best player, that's a major impact, right? And something that you have to, that you're not planning for going in. And Cheech talks about that a little bit today about just the significance of the loss of Neymar. He's the number 10, the main creator. We actually talked a little bit about this in the podcast this morning about sort of what we thought percentage chances were for Brazil before Neymar's injury and then after. I, I was a very bullish with Neymar. I put it at like 85 to 90%. You know, it's on home soil. And, and, and he, to me, is, is, is the second or third best player in the world. And Brazil has played pretty well under Cheech so far. Um, without him, I put it at like 65%. I think they are still the... The, they have to be the odds favorite playing at home, but it just it changes the dynamic completely, right? I mean, Coutinho had a tough season for Barca. He's now going to be sort of the main creative force. That's the that's the most significant change. And you know, of course, Cheech has really built his side. You know, he's tried to be less Neymar dependent, but the team is still very dependent on Neymar. His goals, his assists, his general playmaking ability, and so there are going to be some major structural changes that Cheech has to make to to, to really get this Brazil humming team humming the way it would have would have otherwise been. And Kose, did you see Brazil as the favorite before the injury? And if you did, is that cha- is that injury changed your mind? Um, well, I, I definitely saw Brazil as one of the favorites to take the tournament. Um, I still think they're the team to beat. Uh, you know, but I think now Uruguay, who was kind of my other favorite, has a better chance because they'll be able to rely on some players and uh, like like it was mentioned before, Brazil is really dependent on Neymar. Sometimes they need the creativity. Um, it's a team that can play, that can that can touch touch the ball, move the ball. Um, but his creativity really knows how to break lines and um, how to really un unstick uh, South American teams, which are usually very resilient when they defend. And just so everybody knows, this is a twelve team tournament. Um, Mm-hmm. Three groups of four um, teams included in this year's Copa America: Bolivia, Brazil, Peru, Venezuela. That'll be in that'll be Group A. Group B: Argentina, Colombia, Paraguay, and the famed South American nation of Qatar. Uh, <laughs> group C: 
Chile, Ecuador, that other uh, long-standing Copa America giant, Japan, and um, Uruguay in Group C. So let me ask this question. As, as somebody who may not understand why um, Qatar and Japan are in a South American tournament, um, would one of you like to explain how that happened? <laughs> Kosei, you want to take this one? Um, sure. I mean, um, I'm not completely familiar with the way they choose, um, you know, the invites to the tournament. Um, but I've known, I know we've had some fantastic invites in the last years. Yeah. Mexico has, has, has sometimes, you know, played a very, very, uh, good role in Copa America. They've never been able to win it, but they've been close. Um, and I personally enjoy watching uh, other types of nations come in and compete. Um, I think it makes for a, an interesting an interesting tournament that involves uh, teams from other parts of the world. I really enjoyed the inclusion of Jamaica last time out. Um, or not, not last time, but the, the, the time before that. Uh, they, they came and, and, you know, they played pretty well. Uh, showed the world that, that they know how to play football. And I think these types of inclusions always... Uh, bring a nice surprise to the tournament. Um, I think it makes sense that they always try to include teams that are probably not favorites to win the tournament. Um, but Qatar has just come off winning the, the Asian Cup. Uh, they're preparing for hosting a very controversial World Cup in their country. Um, and Japan, I think, are, are, are a team full of quality. So I think it's, it's very adding to the tournament to have these types of teams that uh, may not be considered favorites, but will be able to show what they're capable of in this tournament. Chase, are you yeah, good with it? Yeah, it? I'm good with it. I, I prefer, I definitely I, I definitely prefer when it is Mexico or Costa Rica or Jamaica, just, just simply because of the, sort of, I, I prefer it when it's Central American size versus teams around the world, for sure. But the only thing I, I agree with Costa, you know, they, they always try to choose teams that will not actually contend to win. There was some discussion a couple of years ago about Spain and Portugal uh, being invited, but I, I actually think they backed away from that simply for that reason, because they didn't want a non-South American team to, to win, the, win, win the Copa America. Um, but but Costa is absolutely right. I mean, Qatar and Japan played in the, the final, I believe, for the Asian, uh, Asian Cup this year. One, I, I do think one or both will play spoiler um, for a, for a big nation in this uh, in this year's tournament. Um, you know, Cutter played Brazil earlier this week, lost two nil, uh, but but played really well. I thought uh, and showed their quality. I, I think both sides have a really good chance at maybe perhaps exiting the group simply because of the format of the competition and definitely challenging the sort of the, the major size in their group uh, and maybe. You know, playing a role for a team that you would think getting out of the group stage, but ultimately doesn't because they drop points to, to one of those countries. Yeah, I, I would say that I just I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of find it a little gimmicky in that you're never going to see the United States invited to the European Championship. Like it's just it's, you know, I think part of it, part of it is they need to they want to have more teams yet. They don't want to, I guess, include every South American team, which they nearly do because it's not like South America has 25 countries in it, so there, there isn't the biggest pool to choose from. So I do understand why they do it. It just, it does feel like, it's just, it, it's a little odd. And then, it is definitely odd. Yeah. And I think the other thing, Mark, which is really interesting is for a lot of 
people the actual qualifying for South America? Is it like winning qualifying for some people is considered to be a bigger achievement than winning the Copa America because you actually have to play every team twice and there are no easy games, right, in, in, in South American qualifying. And so versus the Copa America, extra teams get invited. It sort of can be awkward. It's for a lot of, for some countries, that the emphasis isn't there on that competition. And so it actually makes it, it's kind of a math problem, which I don't think that they've entirely figured out how to how to solve for over the years. Yeah, I, I would I would say, and I would say also that um, it, it'll be interesting because I just I don't see even though Qatar was able to win the I think they won the Asian Cup, you know, with a very sort of pragmatic defensive style which worked. I don't think that works in this tournament. Like, I, I don't see them winning a game or really being all that competitive. Just because there are just too many. These South American teams stylistically are just, I think, going to run them run them pretty ragged. Uh, Japan's interesting, though. I, I think Japan, Kose, I think Japan could be a bit of a spoiler. They're, they showed quality in the World Cup. They showed a real genuine quality, and they were... A good 15 minutes away from beating Belgium in, I believe, the round of 16. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, that, 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 that Japan, that Jap, that Japan team is very well coached. I think they could do some damage. Yes, no, no, I, I have to agree. And I think Chase really hit it, um, before a, I think the only time that I've ever seen a Copa America really, really become alive was in the Centenario version. Um, that was played in, in the USA. I absolutely loved watching that tournament. Um, Ecuador, you know, performed acceptably well. Uh, there were spoilers, there were upsets. Um, I think it was a competition that was able to bring a lot of that interest when it managed to join the two confederations, which I think is an, an incredible idea. Um, but in, in what regards to, to the invites this time, uh, I think Qatar, might just be in the group of death, um, because I don't think any of those four teams are bad teams per se. Argentina, you know, they're taking an under-25 side, but they're still a quality side. They still have quality players. Colombia is known to be good. Paraguay is known to be extremely resilient um, in their play. Uh, so I think that that is going to be, like you said, incredibly hard for them, but they could they could pull um, something out of the hat, I think. Uh, now, if, if, but now to Japan... I think they have a pretty good shot of making it out of the group because um, Ecuador doesn't go into this this competition in the best of forms. Chile it hasn't really been able to to recreate the form that saw them win the past two cups, uh, not even making it to the World Cup. Uh, and then Uruguay is the Uruguay that we love and know that that performed such a great World Cup. So I think they could find themselves, like you said, they're well coached, they're organized, they know how to play. They know to what they play, um, and they know which players can can make them shine. And I think if they rely on the systems um, and on their indiv- individualities, they can even maybe try and steal the group. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting group, and we'll we'll get to that. But just for a little background information, the uh, South America has been playing a sort of championship for about a hundred years now, since 1916. It wasn't called the Copa America at that point, but I'd say, as I'm looking at it, it became the Copa America in 1975. And it sort of had a weird history in that it seems like it's played in... It seems like it's 
played every four years, unless it's played every two years. Then they made it every three years. Then they made it every four years. Then they did the Copa America Centenario Money Grab Tournament in 2016, where they had 16 teams, and now it's in 2019. And then next year, they're going to have another one, and then they're going to have one in 2024 to co-align with the World Cup for... for to actually line, not line up with the World Cup, but line up with the European Championship, which I guess is kind of a smart idea to have them both at the same time. To, yeah, that's, I think that's what they're trying to, to move towards. Um, and they're trying, I think they're trying to, cause I've heard a lot that they're trying to stop this inconsistency of changing their years and not, not really knowing when people play and, and how, how the, the decision for the time between tournaments makes place. So I know they're trying, the, the Centenario was kind of a, a cup to, to move the schedule towards a, a a cycle that would match up with the European Championship. Kose, what do you? We, we've debated this a little bit on the podcast. Like, what do you think about aligning it with the European Championship? I sort of see the pros and the cons. I'm just curious what you think. Um, I think it's not a terrible idea. I think it's uh, it's an idea that stems from a good place, and that place is that uh, they're trying to make, I guess, everything uh, fall into the same place. You know, we had problems with the uh, Copa America last time when it um, was the same time as the Olympics. And Neymar obviously didn't play, and then Brazil exited the competition in the group stage um, after that Ruiz handball. Uh, so I think it, I think it, it opens the possibility for a more for for coaches to bring a more complete squad. And I think it's not it's not a it comes from a good place, um, but at the same time. It could see um, again, like we have talked before, and like I, I know Mark uh, stands on this issue that players are just they play too many games in one in a single year, um, and that's always a risk that you have to consider when you when you're talking about a summer competition. Yeah, absolutely. I you know I wonder about so my thing with Conva Ball is, um, and I have a lot of gripes with Conva Ball, but it's I think their continued sort of Europeanization is what I call it of the South American game is it sort of annoys me. You know, Kose is that like for example the Libertadores they're now moving the final into a single game right instead of like a two legged competition to be more closely aligned with the way that Europe does it. And now they're trying to move the Copa America to the same time as the European Championships, presumably to be more on the European calendar and sort of to sync more with, with Europe. And I, I suppose the idea is that for viewers, you know, we're now going to be able to enjoy a full day of football during the summer. You start in the morning with the European Championships, and then by the evening you're watching the Copa America. So I get it completely. But it's almost like the, I think the further that Ball goes down this path, the more you lose sort of the, the South American independent identity, football identity. Um, and that's my only concern with it, right? So for all practical purposes, I totally get it. I understand it. It makes sense to me. But it almost, Conoball's, I think, willingness to continue to sort of walk along the same track as European football, it seems like almost a surrendering in a way. And I, I find that dynamic to be interesting. I don't have a firm viewpoint on it yet. I sort of want to see how it plays itself out. But it's definitely something to, to watch out for. Well, I mean, no. does it make, yeah, but does it make, it makes sense in that a lot of the major stars of the South American teams, the South American national teams do play in Europe. So it make it does sort of, it, it does sort of make sense in that regard. It's not like they're on the South American calendar. A lot no, of No, certainly not. Of, but I think the counter argument, Mark, is that 
the more you do that, the more easy it becomes for South American stars to go play in Europe, right? So you're simply like greasing the wheels um, for, you know what I mean, for, for South American stars in Europe versus vice versus, versus South American stars in South America. So it limits the exposure and the, 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 basically the ceiling for the South American leagues, which is, so it's a give and take, right? It's yeah. sort of a push and pull in that regard. But is it economically uh, feasible for anybody? Kose, I want you to jump in on this. Well, anybody, uh, basically pretty much any South American star over the age of 21, is it economically feasible to stay in South America? beyond yeah. about 21, 22 years old. And I was going to say, like, I completely agree uh, with what Chase said before about how it is basically accepting that we can't keep keep going on our own. Um, and it is extremely disappointing because we've seen South American, South American teams wreak havoc in the World Cup for decades and decades, and we've known to produce one of the best footballers in the world and the best quality of soccer in the world. Um, Brazil being the maximum winner of, of World Cups in history. So it is disappointing that we're, that we're losing our own identity to try to move that. Um, but I think the reason, the reason uh, behind that is exactly what you're talking about, Mark. Um, I don't think the South American sport is on a good level right now, um, sporting-wise, economically-wise. The Club World Cup usually used to be a final between a European team and a South American team, which during the last five years has not always been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Libertadores, I do not believe, keeps bringing in the same level of football he used to bring. And I think the reason why the Conmebol, which I also do not agree with a lot of their policies and, and the direction in which they choose to handle the, the confederation, uh, but I think the reason behind that is because they... They, they are seeing that South American teams are not producing the same results on the world stage. Um, very disappointing World Cup performances from South American teams. Uh, so I think that the, that's the whole reason behind it, of trying to move these players out of the national tournaments earlier on uh, so that they can become better abroad and eventually improve their national teams. Yeah, I, and I, I think that... In the in the end, money is going to dictate where all of this goes, and I think the uh, I think these federations understand that right now, and probably for the foreseeable future, probably for our lifetimes, European football is just it's going to be it. It's going to be what everyone strives for: the Champions League. I think piggybacking off the European Championship and having the Copa America at the same time. This economically makes sense because there again you have more eyeballs on it. It's not the year directly after the World Cup, and I think part of it is there is I think an un an un sort of uh, I guess you'd say underdeveloped idea that there are a lot of people that watch soccer that aren't diehard fans of this thing. Like mm-hmm. we all watch this, we will watch anything. I think pretty much <laughs> like. There are a lot of the, the worldwide audience after watching a World Cup, maybe a year later, isn't interested in watching a Copa America. If let's say you're from another, you're not from one of those countries or you're not a rabid fan. I think there's a bit of, if we get it on the right in the European calendar, we get to get some of those fans who've been watching the other ones. They can wake up in the morning and what, or if they're already up or whatever, we can 
you know, we can get a little bit of that and we can try to grow that tournament into something more global because the European Championships are a global thing. Yeah. In a way that I'm not sure the Copa America is. And I want to change gears a little bit and talk about the actual teams. Uh, we touched a little bit on Brazil, who I think we all feel still are the favorites. Argentina is, and it's, it's lazy to frame everything in the prism of Lionel Messi. So I'm going to try not to do that. I want to talk just about Argentina as a whole and as a federation. Because they're not going to have many more of these tournaments without their top uh, best player of the last 20 years. What is their, what does this tournament mean in the context of them taking steps to the future? Because I feel like this is the first of a, this is the first tournament for them where even though Messi is still there, they need to start thinking about the next 20 years of Argentinian football in how they're going to stay relevance in the world game because I do think there's a danger right now of that federation not being able to live up to its expectations for a while. You know, sort of the way like the Netherlands for a couple of years there had a had of some down periods and they've picked it up and they've gotten somewhat back to where they need to be. They're in the process the they're getting there. Is Argentina, is this important for Argentina in the long term to really have a good tournament here and show off their younger players, Chase? I think it is. I, I agree, Mark, that it is, it is lazy to sort of frame things around Lionel Messi, but at a certain point, it almost becomes impossible. You know, it's just, it's very difficult not to, right? Um, I agree with the idea that, that they are trying to sort of um, set the federation on a future a, a future looking direction. Um, they have had a lot of stop starts, as a lot of federations in South America have had with managers. They started over several times in terms of sort of their tactical and strategic direction. Argentina, a lot of their best the, Argentina is known in South America as producing a lot of the best managers. A lot of those managers end up managing um, top European clubs. So. Um, it's funny that they haven't been able to find sort of a, a top, you know, European, uh, club manager to come manage the national team. Really, they really have. I mean, they, they've had some, but, but not at the level of, say, like a Pochettino or a, or a Simeone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think they are trying to set a new strategic course, but I do think that, um, so much of the conversation will be about the fact that Messi has never won a international tournament. He's been in three Copa America finals now and, and hasn't yet won one. Uh, not not strictly his fault. I, I do think his level for Argentina is lower than his level at, at Barcelona, and some of that is the talent that he's surrounded by and the dysfunction that he's surrounded by. Um, but, you know, it will still be like it was last summer, I think, Messi and sort of 10 other guys. Uh, and that's, that's, that's to the detriment of their overall performance, in my opinion. Uh, but I do think that that's ultimately how it gets, it, it, how it gets framed, both like internationally and in Argentina as well. And Chase, I feel like the story, if Argentina actually ends up winning this Copa America, will be... <laughs> It'll be awful. That's no, joking. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the, I think the story will be that some of their younger players came of age a little earlier than people expected, because I don't think the uh, the old brigade, the old man brigade that Argentina can bring out there, the Otamendis, the Angel Di Marias, I don't think those guys are going to win the Copa America. I think what will ha- what would happen before that 
would be that their younger players would step up and kind of get up and help Lionel Messi and give him some quality playing around him, some youth, some enthusiasm, some darn speed for once. And, like, <laughs> you know, give them a different dynamic that sort of changes the, changes the script here. Because I think Argentina right now are highly predictable. And if you get yeah, some of those they- young players showing up, I think that would change the dynamics here. So, Kose, who would those young players be? Uh, you know, it's difficult to tell. I think I, I think the AFA as an as an association and, and as an organization um, is not is not well managed. Is not well handled. I think that is the case with most with most South American soccer football associations because that is the reason of of why you see the declining level of South American football in the world. Um, yeah. nowadays. But I think at the same time um, that this is a good opportunity for them to change that, um, you know, to change that trajectory. Um, they have the talent to do it. I don't particularly love Scaloni um, as a coach, but I do think he brings something different to the table um, that we haven't really seen see, seen since uh, the, the managing of Sabella uh, with Argentina in 2014. That was... And that Argentina... <laughs> The Argentina did not play beautiful football, but, you know, they found ways to win. And I think that is um, the route that Scaloni is going to try to take with his players. And, you know, ex-PSG, Lochelso, um, current PSG Paredes, they are going to be an important inclusion in that midfield. Um, I think they're taking Piti Martinez from Atlanta United, which I think is a brilliant, uh, a brilliant bet. Um, he's a fantastic player, and I think... You know, players that play in the U.S. need to be able to go and show themselves in international tournaments to prove that they can um, that they can perform to that highest level, which I think will also be the case with Jose Martinez in Venezuela. Um, so I think that as long as those players um, to perform with him, you know, play around him, if they are able to bring out the best in him, they will bring out the best in them as well. Yes, and hopefully whoever that was in yeah. the background is okay. Yeah, I think it was uh, a truck just went by me there, Mark. Hopefully it didn't crash. <laughs> I was like, no, it didn't. I just I live on a very busy busy thoroughfare in SF. That's why. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> it is a beautiful city. You know, you know, I, was, I was there once. It, it really is. A, it, it really is a beautiful like city to, to look at. And, and sightseeing. Um, you know, can I just just to pick up on one thing uh, that was just said that I totally agree with is is you know what's funny is uh, we talk about Scaloni and I totally agree that he's bringing something completely different and and when you look at Argentina historically when they've been really successful have they ever really done it playing beautiful football like probably like really no like if you really really think about it right and so maybe Scaloni is taking the right approach and sort of this obsession with playing beautiful football, it's like, it's kind of a back-to-basics, back-to-roots approach, and they're taking a lot of young guys who aren't carrying a lot of baggage, and so maybe this is the right approach, you know, and maybe this is, maybe this is the way to sort of move the Federation forward, because it, it is sort of a back-to, you know, back-to-the-future type uh, type way of, uh, of managing this team. I think they're the second, I think they're the second favorite here, and I think I'm going to get pushback on that, but I, I still think that when you have the best player in the world who is in 
pretty decent form right now. I still think that counts for something. And you can make the argument, and we'll talk about Uruguay next, who I think are the third favorite to win this. I don't know if Uruguay have that type of player. I mean, they're going to do Uruguay things, and it's going to look all great. But, I mean, if you, you know, Kose, you and me are PSG fans, and we've watched Edinson Cavani ever since sort of the injuries that he's suffered in, in the winter, he's not been the same guy. Like, no. and if he's not the same guy... And Luis Suarez is 34, and he's not the same guy he was. Really? How are you gonna? How are they gonna score enough goals to win this tournament? I think, and I'm, <laughs> I am gonna push back on your Argentina <laughs> second favorite uh, notion because uh, I think that this is also a new opportunity for Uruguay. Um, I love the players that they are bringing to this Copa America, Fede Valverde, Darrascaeta, uh, players who are breaking it in the, you know, Christian Suani, who was, I think, the third or fourth highest scorer in the league at the season. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Have players of huge quality, experience, uh, and talent with this new wave of, of talent that they're bringing in this season. I think you're right when they're gonna, when you say they're gonna play, uh, the Uruguay way. Um, which is why I really hope Ecuador will let them have the ball <laughs> so that they can trip all over themselves. <laughs> um, but the truth is that, that, um, is an incredible tactician. And I think that with the player that, that he's trying to take, uh, to this Copa, with the foundations that this team set, um, in this last World Cup, they are gonna do great things. Um, it is true that, that Cavani was never the same after the injuries, and we all saw how important he was for Uruguay in the World Cup. Um, so we'll have to see how that affects him um, as a team and in, as an individuality for Cavani. Uh, but I think they still are a team that is absolutely flowing with talent, um, experience, and the determination, because I'm sure they want to win this thing. Change yeah, I, I, I com- Uruguay. Yeah, completely agree with Jose. I, I love the squad uh, that Tavares picked. I think it's really balanced. It's got an eye towards the future with also just that core that has been really successful for the past 10 years now for Uruguay. Um, I'm always wary of a, of a squad that comes into the international, into an international tournament with a last hurrah kind of feel, which this really is for Uruguay, in my opinion. This is their last go round, um, in terms of this core of players that's been super successful. And so, they, I mean, they, I, I completely agree with the idea that, you know, Cavani and Suarez, it's, it's getting to the end and whatnot, but they are filled with a lot of young guys that are really talented and have a lot to prove. Um, I, I do, I rank Uruguay as my second favorite. I think that if anyone's going to beat Brazil, it will probably be Uruguay. Um, and, and Stuani is one to look out for, for sure. You know, Girona got relegated from La Liga, but he, it, it seemed almost inconceivable that a, that a team could get relegated with someone who scored as many goals as he did for them this year. I think I think he scored. It was something, something crazy. Like forty percent of their league goals were scored by uh, Stuani this year. So he had a, he had a great season. Um, you know they're going to get a lot from Lucas Torreira, who had a great uh, debut season for Arsenal. Um, Ahascaeta has been not so great for Flamengo this year, but he's just got bags and bags of talent. And then when you talk about their back line, I mean 
Godin and Jimenez have played something like over 200 matches together for club and country over the last few years. And so they've just got this really solid spine, like this core of players, and they've supplemented it really nicely um, with some creative players who aren't going to feel a ton of pressure to create, but can just go out there and sort of be themselves. I, I think that they've got a lot of juice and can go really far in this competition. Yeah, and I think that's where it's like, it's Brazil and then Uruguay, Argentina, and again, depending on how much you you put credence into a star being on one team as opposed to the other, you can kind of flip those around, but I do see where we're all coming from with Uruguay, and I think it would be kind of nice to see Uruguay win this in the sense that, yeah... I don't know if there's a lot of European, a lot of world level success coming for them in the next 15 years or so. They might be able to sneak a Copa America in here. Again, they have not won a Copa America since 19, well, two, actually, never mind. They won one. 2000, 2011, right? Okay, Is that so, what, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a feeling they hadn't won one in a while. Yeah, they've, they've won one recently. So yeah, I, it'd still be nice for them to win one, but, um, I think they'll be, I think they'll be, I'm, I'm still concerned that they don't have enough people to score goals. And Stuani's a good player. I just don't know if against Brazil, he's going to be able to get open in the same way. Cause I do think Brazil defensively are still just, they should be miles and away better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. Cause I just, I, I still look at that Brazil team, and we did. We kind of covered them lightly. We'll cover them more right now. They still have more talent than any of these other teams. Like I just look at I look at that roster, and I go, "There's some people that are a little old in the tooth." I still don't quite get Danny Alves starting all these games. I I, I think at some point he's just going to collapse. You know, it's one of those guys that's just going to play till he can't, like physically cannot play anymore. And, you know, there's some positions where you go, oh, they're bringing back Willian again. And, you know, they had to bring him back because Neymar got hurt. But, you know, ugh, like he, he, he seems like he's about two steps over the hill. But still, name value and that back line, Marquinhos, Silva, Miranda, that team should win this, even without Neymar, because they, they're solid enough. And we go back to a year ago, they did, I think, play the best game of the tournament against Belgium. That Those two teams they, played the, the best game of that tournament. Yeah. And they, should have won, they, sh- they should have won the World Cup last summer. I've said this a, a number of times. They... They, their expected goals in that game, it was like something like 4-1. to one. I mean, they, they made two... Critical mistakes um, in the first half, and spent the rest of the game chasing it. But they were, they were, they were better than Belgium. They should have won that game. They missed a shit ton of chances. It was, it was just, it was just not their day. That's the weight of knockout round football, which we've talked about about with PSG a bunch of times, right? You know, what I, mean? I mean, like this is, this is sort of, this is what it is with, with knockout round football. Um, I agree, though, Mark. That they are the favorites. Um, but yeah, I, 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 sorry. I just I just wanted to make that point really no, quickly because I, I think that's not talked about enough. Is that they should have won that game? They just it was just one of those days. Well, that, no, makes sense. that header, I think it was even Silva. I think if that header yeah, was, was in Silva. the first five minutes, like that game, like in the first ten minutes of that game, Brazil were completely dominant. 
yeah, if they get a control. goal out of that and maybe sneak another one, that game's over. And yeah. it's not that Belgium were Belgium were a good team. Belgium were you know Belgium were good enough to win that World Cup it, to a certain degree. It's just I don't think they should have beaten that Brazil team. And I think Brazil yeah. and France, you know, we're getting off on a tangent here, but I think that Brazil France game would have been spectacular in that that would have been a real like it Brazil would have forced France to get out of their comfort zone and play in a different way, which is something that no team was really ever able to do. Like nobody was able to budge France from the way they wanted to play. France dictated every game. Brazil would not have allowed France to just dictate the game. Brazil would have taken that game to them, and it would have forced them to play a different way. So I think, Chase, you're on to something there. But to spin this forward, even without Neymar, you have players like David Neres who can fill that void. Gabriel Jesus, who had, you know, I would say a rough injury-plagued kind of season with Manchester City. Serge Aguero basically took his job back. After a while. So I think Jesus has something to prove. Um, Philippe Coutinho is probably their best attacking player now. And he definitely has things to prove after his season with Barcelona. I think there's a good, there's a good mix here with this Brazil team is that they have, they have really good world class players, but also those world class players have something to prove. Yeah. Completely agree. I mean, I think they, they are still well constructed. Um, I think this generation of Brazilian players ha- has not performed as well in the World Cup as would have been expected from them, as is, is expected from any generation of Brazilian players. Uh, you know, they've won a Confederations Cup. They won the country's first Olympic gold in 2016. But I think a, a trophy like the Copa America or like the World Cup is sort of missing from the cabinet still. So there is some pressure. There is expectation to win on home soil. Brazil have never lost to Copa America when they hosted it. So this generation doesn't want to be the team that lost 7-1 to one and also was the first to lose a Copa America on home soil. It would be a generation of firsts, to be honest. Um but yeah, you know, I, I think that they are the best team in terms of name value and name recognition. But, you know, it is South, what, for, for listeners of this podcast who have not really watched the Copa America historically, the value of the tournament is that no match is, is not going to be worth watching. The, the, the level of competition is, is so tight within the Copa America. There, there's no like France versus Iceland games in the Copa America. That just, just doesn't happen. You know, like, every game is going to be tight and, and well contested. And, and I think, Brazil historically has focused much more on the World Cup than the Copa America on a relative basis. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see what the mindset is. The, the country seems to almost be in some ways sleepwalking through this, kind of expecting to win simply because they're Brazil and they're hosting. And it could be interesting to see if, you know, another team comes a little bit hungrier than them in a, in a knockout round. Yeah. Knockout round. Cause that, there's, there's not going to be like a group stage exit here. There's just the teams that no, they're playing. No, no, no. The teams that are playing in that group aren't good enough. Uh, no, Kusha, your not. thoughts on Brazil? Uh, no, I have to agree. I think you guys did it exactly. Um, you know, talent wise, technically wise, uh, their list is absolutely stunning. The players that they're taking, even without Neymar. Um, it's an A plus. It's an A plus list. Uh, in my opinion, the only one in the tournament, um, with all of the other close ones being a B plus at best. Um, but but I think that you know what they said is is exactly true. There are no easy games in the Copa America. 
Um, you can ask, uh, I think it was um, Duda during the 2016 Copa America, who got yeah. by Brazil, by Peru. Um, I think they got handed. Mm, I don't want to say easiest because you know, like Chase said, there aren't easy games in in Copa America. But I think they they got they got they they got given the the most handable group. Um, yes, I think they they should be able to get out of that group uh, if they stay true to their style, if they stay true to their ideas. Um, you know, Peru is a team that can give you trouble. They have creative players. They are good defending. I don't think Bolivia should pose any threat, and uh, you know Venezuela. They they're, they they have a new exciting look that I that I am you know looking forward to see in this tournament. But still, I don't think that they should be able to take that away from Brazil. Um, if they take this tournament seriously, and you know, I'm kind of sad because this was supposed to be you know Neymar's Neymar's tournament. He was supposed yeah. to be uh, you know the comeback kid and and win it for Brazil, but. Still, I think they should be able to win it if they stay true to their style um, and true to their purpose, which means taking every single game um, as a final. Yeah. Hey, Jose, let me ask you, this is sort of a general question, and Mark, I apologize for if, if I'm derailing us, but um, Jose, who, do, who do you think has been the best South American team in the last 10 years? Just curious. Uh, in the last 10 years, I would say it has to be between... Um, Brazil or Uruguay. I mean, there hasn't been a South American team that has won the World Cup since 2002, I think, with Brazil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Longest drought ever, by the way, for South American teams not win the World Cup. I was going to say, it's, which is incredibly disappointing. Um, Uruguay had a brilliant 2010 campaign um, where they got close, but I think that, you know, bearing that, there isn't really a team that has been able to um, establish themselves on the world stage. Uh, Brazil has been the latest team to win a World Cup. Um, and on the other hand, Uruguay is the most successful Cup America winner in history. Uh, you know, winning the last, the last, uh, the last few times that, that wasn't basically Chile. Um, and Brazil, of course, also has Cup Americas to its name. So I think it's definitely between the two of them. Well, and yeah, I, 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 I want to just make mention also that Argentina did make a World Cup final in 2014. So yes. I, I, I th and they've made the last three Copa America finals. So you can say that they've, you know, and I think people, and this is, I think this really does speak to how disappointing we felt Messi's international legacy is. Which is that he's, you know, he's gotten a team to a World Cup final and three Copa America finals, hasn't won any of them. And we're thinking of Uruguay and Brazil before Argentina, because I think we do have that sort of heightened expectation for what Argentina could do with him. So I just, I thought I'd throw that in there, because I, I do, I do think that he should get some credit for being consistently good. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Mark. I, and I, I think though, I, I, the reason I ask Cozy this question is because I think it's actually very telling because it speaks to the way that um, even people who follow South American football very closely rate the World Cup as such a more important. You know, like it, it speaks to the way that is rated relative to the Copa America, right? Because in the last ten years, Chile have won two Copa Americas, and you would think to yourself, "Wow, slam dunk! They've been the best." But the fact that they haven't—they haven't really performed the World Cup. 
They didn't qualify for one of the World Cups during the last 10 years. And Uruguay and Brazil, although they haven't been great, have been better, uh, you know what I mean, than them at the World Cups. It, it sort of speaks to the way that we sort of judge South American teams. It, it, it really comes down to the performance in the World Cup, and it speaks to the heightened expectations for South American countries and how hungry the continent really is for, for a World Cup and, and how long it's really been. I, yeah, I would, I, I'd agree. And I think that this is, this is an interesting tournament in that I feel like that there's a bunch of federations that need to get themselves going in the right direction. And I think the two other club, uh, nations, besides the big three, that I'm interested in, in watching, just from a pure, um, can they kind of get it together standpoint are Chile and Colombia. Because Chile seem to be on a downswing. Their core is getting older. I don't see the pipeline of younger players that are going to come in there. Maybe someone can tell me different. And Colombia is interesting because they were another team that, round of 16 against England, was probably, if, if Brazil and Belgium was the best game in the tournament, I think England and Colombia was one of the worst. I just, it's awful. It was an awful, awful display of football from Colombia. And I was rooting for them the entire time, despite how awful it was. But yeah. what, is, what are those two nations right now when it comes to football? Like, where are they? Well, well I think, um, well, Chile, I don't think Chile will be fancying their chances for this tournament. Um, Bosejur has been starting on the left back of this team since uh, 1845, I think. <laughs> uh, their, their, their core is getting really, really old. Um, and you can't see them performing. Arturo Vidal didn't have a bad season with Barcelona, but he also wasn't the best. Uh, and then he was by far the best performing Chilean on any world stage. Uh, Alexis Sanchez massively underperforming in the Premier League. Um, and like I said before, Chile are still depending on players that are not going to be able to perform at that level in this tournament. I think they have interesting talents. I think they have interesting, um, you know, ideas they may want to try. Their new coach, Renaldo Reda, I'm very familiar with him. He was a uh, coach of Ecuador for the 2014 World Cup. Um, and he's known to create very organized uh, teams that bring out the best of the players that they have. Um, considering that Chile is not a team that is barred with talents. They have a good amount of talents uh, from players that play in the Mexican League, for example, um, in a few of the European leagues. He could be able to, to bring them something interesting, but I do not see them uh, making a third consecutive final this time out. And then, on with regards to Colombia, I think they will be incredibly disappointed with the performance that they had uh, uh, in, last, in last year's World Cup. They wanted to go a lot farther. They weren't even able to match their previous performance at the World Cup. Um, they lost to an England team that I believe only made it to the semifinal because they didn't lose that game. Um, so I think they, they are going to be wanting to prove something and they have the talent to do it. They have centre-backs playing in the best teams in the world. Um, you know, James who, when he's given the number 10 shirt and he's given the responsibility, most usually performs, uh, especially for them, Falcao is back. Luis Muriel is a great, a great goal scorer, uh, an option to have. They have good midfielders, and I think that will be the reason why they will want to go into this tournament with the eye of winning it. 
Yeah, yeah Chase, com- your 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 thoughts on either of those? So, I, well, I think Chile. I agree uh, with Kose. It sort of feels like the sun is setting a little bit. I mean, they they just came off of a golden generation and they won two Copa Americas. It, it, it was a it was a great generation of players for them. Uh, they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. And I, I Kose, I love the Bosa Jor shop. I love the fact that he and Isla have played over 200 caps for Chile combined, which is crazy because neither of them have played at a particularly high level for club. Um, and both are, I think, north of 33 now or something like that. They're both very old. Um, but the other thing about Colombia is when they are playing at sort of top gear, I actually don't know that there are too many South American sides that are more exciting to watch than them. Uh, you know, I think James has had a good club career. He is exceptional when he plays for Colombia. I mean, just the transformation that he undergoes when he be, when he pulls on the Colombia shirt is, is pretty incredible. They should have been semifinalists at last year's World Cup. The loss to England stings really bad. If James plays in that match, I think they absolutely tear England apart, to be honest with you. It was just, it was just a very unlucky, um, very, uh, very unlucky situation for them. I think they are dangerous. They're always lurking in the grass. I wouldn't want to play them in the knockout knockout stages of a competition because they just you just never know what you're going to get. But the, the other thing is Colombia could turn up for a match and play really poorly. We've seen that a lot too. Um, and, and so, but, but just the fact that you never know is just makes them a team that you really want to really want to avoid. And I think the story of Hamas Rodriguez has always been if you build the team around him and the team is centrally focused on making him like the star and the number one threat, he can rise to the occasion and be a dominant kind of number 10 kind of player. When he has to sort of be fit into a system, it hasn't worked as well. It didn't work at Real Madrid, I think, for that reason. Because, again, yeah. are you going to, you know... He's not, a, he's not a system player. He's not. No, he has to be the number 10. He has to have control of the ball. It has to be his team. And when it's he's, not, not, he's not. It's not unlike Coutinho. I mean, it's a very similar conversation. He's a classic South American number ten. To be honest, is, is how I describe him. Yeah, and I think in European football, that sort of archetype is sort of starting to die out a little bit. Like it's just not the way European football is necessarily played anymore, where you have you know sort of a creative ten doing a lot of that work like it's a lot more you know there's obviously exceptions to the rule because if you're that like if you're that good and you play the 10 you know you can do other things too Neymar can score when he's healthy he can probably score 25 30 goals a season like yeah Messi scoring 40 goals a year as a 10 like he has that other skill that gives him the ability to play that way in the European game Hamas Rodriguez is not that kind of guy. So I, I just, I look at it and I go, in a sport where it's a lot more about wing play, like, it seems like, the, and you guys can maybe correct me on this if you think differently, but to me, the European game is a lot more based off of getting the ball to the wings and running at defenses as opposed to sort of controlling the ball in the midfield and then making passes through the lines to, you know, and doing it that way. I just think the game has gotten more about speed and strength. So in in that in that regard, I do think that a guy like Coutinho and James Rodriguez are just not as effective. Um, 
I was going to ask, um, well, the other, well, the other thing I was going to say about Columbia really quickly is the fact that Quintero towards ACL is a big blow for them too, right? Um, I think if they had had him. He's one of the best players in 2018. Makes a huge difference. Yeah. Makes a huge difference because he's a second guy. He's sort of like a Robin, you know what I mean? You, you can't mark James out of the game because Quintero's ability to find final balls is... I, 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 he's a supremely un, underrated player. Yep. So. And uh, I will say that here's the part of the of the show now that we're kind of going down to the last few minutes that we're going to let Kose talk about Ecuador. Oh, oh my God. So we're going to oh give you God. some... Equi- we're going to give you time. We're going to give you the floor. <laughs> talk about Ecuador. <laughs> Um, well, I think this is going to be a very, very interesting competition for us, um, because we suck at it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we have, I think our best finish is a fourth place, um, a long, long time ago. Uh, We, we're not really particularly good at this competition, and it's because historically, um, you know, Ecuador has not been this, this team, this heavyweight in South America. Uh, you know, we had a golden generation. We are a team that is dangerous. At the best uh, time in our history, we got to be the number 13th ranked team in the world um, when we used to have prime Antonio Valencia combining with Cucho uh, Caicedo and, and all of the stars that played in the Mexican League in the 2006 World Cup. You know, it was an impressive team. And I think um, that is the... That is the idea and the the, uh, the the rage that these players want to, to, to show that they can play at that level because I don't know if you follow the Under-20 World Cup, but Ecuador is currently in the semifinal um, of the Under-20 World Cup and it is a, complete, a completely moving movement here in Ecuador. Everybody's, everybody's watching their Under-20 team because we have never been able to... We won the South American Championship as an Under-20 team um, and now we're in the semifinals. We beat the U.S. Um, we beat Uruguay. We're going to face Korea in the semifinals. It is very exciting to see Ecuador um, being able to, to achieve that kind of success. And I think that the senior players will want to show that they can, can show that level too. And and the, the coach, which I don't agree with the signing of our coach, Hernandario Gomez, I think he's a, a coach that is not adequate for the for the idea that Ecuador is trying to play behind. He's more of a coach of, we'll make the best of what we have, um, instead of trying to propose a, a playing identity and try to win games. I think he will go to try and not lose games in the Copa America. But I think that Ecuador on their day, they can be a dangerous team. We, until not very far away, we were an incredibly dangerous team in the South American qualifying 12 points after the first four games, beating Argentina in Argentinian soil. Um, you know, we are a team that has, it's, it's full of talent. Uh, but unfortunately, we come from a broken federation um, that is has not been able to, to use the talents that this country produces to, to produce the best teams um, and has, has rode off the, the success of our 20, 2006, um, you know, Cinderella story in the World Cup uh, because... That's well, that's what we have, um, and I think it starts to start writing new history. Um, and I don't, I, I see us. It's very, it's going to be very, very hard for us to progress from this group because Japan are a, a, a fantastic playing team. Uruguay, they're one of the favorites to win the competition. Um, and Chile, 
they still have the talent to, to present a top game. Ecuador are probably the fourth um, team, technically wise and footballistically wise, in that in that group, and I think it's going to have to take something really special from them to show that they can uh, go back to playing against the best teams in the world. All right, so after uh, Kose's cheerfully optimistic review of Paraguay's chances, uh, Chase, who do you think wins the Copa America here in 2019? Mm, I think the winner is Brazil, and the final is against Uruguay, and they win 2-1. to one. Chase? Chase? Well, I... I don't hear Chase, and uh, he did say he had to leave at 7 o'clock, so I, I may held him to that. So I'm just going to assume that he's picking Brazil. I All think right. that's fairly safe. Chase, you can correct me on that if you're uh, if you're not. Um, <laughs> so, um, Kose, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? I know you're on Twitter, so um, plug, uh, plug where you uh, dispense your knowledge. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you just look up my handle, it's uh, at Cose Espinoza. Everything's with S together. Um, you know, I retweet a lot of the stuff that I watch, um, and it's it's a pretty exciting timeline. <laughs> All right, and since uh, Chase has dropped off, I'm going to do his plug for him. So uh, you can find him at Chase, C-H-A-S-E-H underscore C-B. So that's at Chase H underscore C-B. Uh, he is the one of the founders of the Canary in Blue podcast, which is, I believe, going on its last legs here. They're going to do Copa America stuff, and then that should be it. I'm not sure. He can correct me. But he is, uh, he helped me with, he was actually, he was, he helped me. I would say that's too light of a word. He was the co-star of our Neymar podcast from last year, which received rave reviews. Um, his show is fantastic. He's a very knowledgeable fan of Brazilian soccer. He'll still be around. Follow him, ask him questions, interact with him. He's a good guy. Uh, you can follow me at Mark Damon one and, uh, make sure to follow PSG talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at PSG talk, subscribe to our podcast, PSG talking and the brand new 1970 podcast, which is me and our founder, Ed, uh, giving you about a 30 to 40 minute rundown of all things Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, we're getting, we're getting started on that. We just dropped our second episode of that. We hope to get better at it. Please give us your feedback. Let us know what we can improve on, what you'd like to hear us talk about, etc., etc. Um, also, PSG Talking, if you have not yet listened to their season, uh, ending awards show. Kosa, you were on that, right? Uh, no, I wasn't, unfortunately, but I did listen to it, and it was a fabulous show. Yes, um, our, our guys at, uh, PSG Talking, Guillaume Delpor, Matthew Gooding, um, Terry Philo, just really good stuff, um, we're gearing up for the 2019-2020 season, but... Until that starts, we want you to enjoy the uh, Copa America. Also enjoy the African Cup of Nations, which I did a preview with John Olangi um, uh, and two other guests um, whose names escape me at the moment because I really basically only know them by their Twitter handles. But um, 
you can you can check that out. They'll have their Twitter ha- Twitter handles there too. Um, and uh, continue, I guess, watching the Women's World Cup. We wanted to do a, a show on that. We, we didn't really find anybody that we you know if we're going to do it, we want to get the best people we can to to give the expert testimony. So enjoy the the Women's World Cup. Enjoy the soccer here in the month of June. Um, unless there's some big breaking PSG news, you probably won't hear from us until July. So, um, which is possible, uh, the way this club goes. So, for Cosia Espinosa, this has been, uh, Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>